Amen. Thanks so much. Well, again, my name is Patrick Chandler, and it is so good to be back with you guys. Uh, the last time that I was here was the Sunday before the world went crazy, and uh, everything was shut down. We were on a pastor's trip in Florida, came back. I spoke here that Sunday, and then like church was canceled in person for like months for us in Omaha. So I don't know you guys have had a little different journey, um, but I was here. I wasn't the reason it got crazy, but I was here right before it got crazy. So um, I'm so excited to be able to be a part of this core value series. Uh, the core values are not just something that we like because it's a cute little graphic or that is uh, something that we hold to because we want to be legalistic or anything like that, but it really is that of a value. It is something that we value as a family of churches. It's something that's valued by each church individually as well and nuanced as fit to their um, congregation in their city and their context they find themselves in. And so when I first came on staff, I really struggled with this. So I don't know why that's the case, but I always wanted to say up, down, in, and out. Well, if you look at the little graphic there, that's not the order. Um, and I, like for, for me, forever, I just couldn't make myself say down, up, in, and out. But it's important that it's processed and ordered that way. Because before we can grow up, we have to accept the gospel that came down. And so it starts with Jesus. And then we, in response to what he has done, we grow up in spiritual formation. And so last week, Jason talked about the gospel and the power of the gospel, what the gospel is for. But the gospel is good news. It's good news that you were far from God, but God brought you near. For those of you who are in Christ Jesus, those of you that have not yet trusted Christ, I pray and I would, would hope that as you listen today, that God may even stir your heart to say, hey, Jesus came to me even before I was born to die on a cross and that you yourself will respond to the gospel that came down and then you will begin a process of growing up. For those of believers in this room or they're listening um, after the fact or online, would you hear these words today as they were response to what God has done. The good news of the gospel, that Jesus, God's Son, came and lived the life that you and I could not live. He died a death that we deserve, and he rose from the grave, defeating Satan's sin and death, and removing the penalty of sin for those who have put their faith and trust in him. He saves us by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Alone. He is the initiator. Why is the down arrow first? Because he initiated and we respond to his work and what he has already done. So as we spend our time together this morning, I want you um, to, you'll hear this phrase several times. Everything we do to, uh, everything that we do is a response to and empowered by the gospel. Everything that we do is in response to and empowered by the good news of who Jesus is, what he's done, and why that matters. So we respond to the gospel that came down, the good news that we have. We respond to that in growing up, to being uh, going through spiritual formation. That's a big word. All it means is we are being changed into the likeness of Christ. We are come to Christ as a baby, and we grow into maturity as we walk with him, and he begins to make us look more more and more like himself. We respond down to the gospel, not just uh, the, the, the down part, the gospel, not just 
in up and us growing up in Christ. But as we come and accept the gospel and we understand the gospel's implications for our life, that it really was a gift to us, we desire to live in community. We desire to walk with one another. And then lastly, as we respond to the gospel, we desire to take that gospel message and let it be good news to anyone else. Anyone else who would hear and repent and believe in the gospel as well. That they would receive the gospel and the hope that comes with that. But as we jump in this, our time this morning, I just want to take a minute to, to think about where we've been and, and some things that we see. So uh, social media is a thing that's really popular. And on a lot of social media things, you'll see a picture of times past. You'll see a picture and you're like, man, I don't even recognize that couple. They've been married for 30 years. Like, it looks like a completely different couple. Or man, you look back at a picture and you're like, man, God's faithfulness in that season was so incredible as we prayed about this and God provided. Or sometimes you look back and you go, man, that was a goofy looking dude when he was a baby. How did he ever turn out to look this good? So uh, the first baby picture, not that picture, the first baby picture, keep going, keep going right there. It's not me. Anybody know who that is? It's Jason. He, 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 I don't know if you got better or worse. I don't know. That, the people will decide. I don't know. I, so, um, but yeah, cash your votes. Private ballot. We don't want Jason to see. So, um, no. And then there's another, another picture there. That's Stephanie. And so as you look at these pictures, it's, it's fun to look back and remember or to see and compare and think about, like, how do they look like what they look now and what happened? And, you know, uh, I said this morning that, you know, Jason passed my height by the time he was five. Um, but uh, that's just a struggle that I have to live with the rest of my life. This is how God made me. So um, it's a short person's world, though, really. It, it really is. Everything is made for short people. Uh, just ride an airplane. Um, yeah. So short people rule. Quoted uh, Stephanie. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so, but not only is it fun to look back at like pictures of people and things that have happened, it's also fun to look back at movements of God. It's fun to see that not only are we spectators in God's movement, but we're also participants. And you guys are a part of a family of churches called the City Light Family of Churches. Go back one more picture. All right, so, so in 2011, early 2012, there was a core team of people, uh, just a small group of people, less than 50 people were gathering in a living room praying. God, we feel that you are leading us to start something new, to, to plant a church, and we don't know what you want to do with that. We don't know how to do that. Would you give us wisdom and discernment as we pray and seek your guidance? So, Core team started, um, and then this is a picture from that fall, early fall and winter of 2012. So just eight years ago, eight years ago, was one room with one church in one location. And the plan was that in five years, five years into the first plant, that they would consider how do we start praying about our, church, our first church plant. But God had other plans. And so in year two, you can go put the other side up. In year two, two years after this uh, official launch in Omaha, which launched in 2013, um, two years later, see like Benson 
was planted. And God said, hey, you think five years, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you what I can do in eight years. And in eight years, all of these churches have um, been planted, started, revitalized, whatever, to be a part of this family of churches. But isn't it amazing to see how God started something so small in a tiny living room and he has taken that and just continued to grow that and grow that and grow that. Now, the joke was when I received this picture yesterday was if we started any more churches or any more churches coming to be part of the family, where are they going to go? Like We're going to have multiple slides to be able to demonstrate what God is doing. Isn't that a good problem to have? So let me give you a few details, and I, and I always hesitate to give numbers because numbers aren't people, but I want you to think about every one of these numbers as an actual, real human being who has real-life problems and real-life struggles, but in the last eight years, you look back, looking back to 2012 and the small people gathered together to today, there are now 13 different City Light churches, 13. God took one and multiplied and multiplied and multiplied and multiplied and continued that all the way to 13. In the last eight years, this blows my mind, in the last eight years, a thousand people have been baptized. They have come to Christ or they've responded to the Lord in believer's baptism to say, hey, God is the Lord of my life. He came down and I want to respond by making it public to everyone that he is my Lord and he is my Savior. One thousand people. Real people have had their lives transformed by the gospel because people have taken steps of faith and God has honored that step of faith. There are 13 churches, 1,000 people baptized, but across the family, there's 175 different city groups that are meeting on a regular basis. So as a church, we gather on Sundays and we scatter throughout the city. That is not just here where we are today, but literally every city life family, that's a part of who we are. Are. It's crazy to think that in eight years God could do so much. What does He have for the future? Well, what I want to talk to you about today is what He has for your future. How He wants to do something with you personally. If you've trusted in Christ and He's the Lord of your life, you respond to the gospel by saying, Yes, it's not just good news for somebody else, but that's good news for me. If that's been you, I want to encourage you that. You think about this idea of change, what God might have for you. And for me, as I finished seminary, I uh, spent a lot of hours studying. I worked two jobs while I was in seminary. I just really didn't take care of myself physically, and I put on a whole lot of weight during seminary. And inside of me was this thing saying, hey, I really would like to make some strides to change, but I don't know where to start. I don't have the power to start. I don't know the patterns that I needed to do that. I don't really know what to do to make a difference. And it was while I was wrestling with this that a friend of mine in ministry came to me and said, Hey, Patrick, I'm working out this time of day. Uh, would you want to come with me anytime? So I was glad to jump in with him and to be able to, uh, to work out with him and to, to start a pattern that's continued even to this day. And I've seen myself lose over 50 pounds because of this one thing helping me have the motivation and the encouragement to do that change. And as I'm talking about a change that I made, mine was a physical change. Maybe yours is a spiritual struggle. Maybe there is something spiritual in your life where you have tried repeatedly to set off a sin, but it keeps coming back. 
And you make bargains with God and you say, God, if you just give me one more chance, I won't do it again. Or maybe it's a fear or a worry or an anxiety or a stress that just keeps coming back and it's crippling you over and over and over again. And you're like, I just wish there was some way I could walk away from this challenge, from this struggle. I want you to take that thing that came to mind that hopefully God brought to your mind and think about that through the rest of the sermon. I'll come back to it at the very end. But as we spend our our time together today, I want to order our time by giving you three reminders. Three reminders that everything we do is a response to and empowered by the gospel. Let's look at our first reminder. The first reminder is the gospel enables us to change by giving us new power. By giving us new power. Jesus in John 16, 17 talks about him leaving the earth. And when he leaves the earth, that he is going to send a helper to come. That if he doesn't go, the helper will not come. And they're struggling with, well, Jesus, we want you to stay. And Jesus is like, no, I'm going to send a helper that's going to be even better for you in this process of changing and being conformed to my image. And so this Holy Spirit, what does the Holy Spirit help us do? Well, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2 tells us what this Spirit does. Here we're going to see all three parts of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see what they do. And so listen to this in verse 2 of 1 Peter. According to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus and for sprinkling with his blood. So it talks about God the Father, but then it talks about the Spirit. It says it's for the sanctification of the Spirit. The Spirit sanctifies those who are in Christ Jesus. Sanctification is another big word. All it means is that we are being changed into the likeness of God. At salvation, God said, hey, you are justified. You are just as if you had always obeyed him, just as if you never had any sin. And he is now conforming you into the image that he desires you to be, to look like, walk like, talk like, be like the person and work of Jesus. I didn't say he wants you to do these things so that God will accept you, but because God has already justified you, because he's already treated you as though you have no sin, now he wants to change you and mold you in these different ways. The Holy Spirit is very powerful. Oftentimes we say, hey, I'm going to change. I'm going to do it myself. That Midwestern mindset, I'm going to pull myself up on my own bootstraps, and I'm going to make this happen. I know it's a spiritual matter, and I know I need to stop doing the sin, but we just say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to make it happen. And it doesn't work because we don't have the power in of ourselves to make those things happen. But what we do have is a Spirit who desires to empower us. Here are a few things the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit comforts us, John 14, 18. Brings us peace, John 14, 27. He reminds us of truth, John 14, 26. He convicts us of sin, John 16, 8. He glorifies Jesus, John 16, 14. He empowers us for mission, Acts 1, 8. He confirms that we are God's children, Romans 8, 15. Helps us to pray, Romans 6, 8, 26. Empowers us for ministry, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. And lastly, he produces fruit in our character, Galatians 5.22. If Jesus thought it was so important for him to leave, to leave the earth, and to send a helper, 
Why do we have such a hard time allowing this helper to help us? Why do we struggle so much to say, I can't do this. God, I need your spirit to empower me. I want to remind you that you have a new power because of the gospel. Let me illustrate it like this. In Omaha, uh, there is this thing called power surges. And I didn't, where I came from, that wasn't the case. I've been in Omaha for two years. And so when I first moved there, they're like, you need to get this power surge protector on your house to protect if there's a power surge from tearing up any components within your house. And I was like, yeah, right, whatever. I don't know what this is, but I'll, I'll pay the extra money or whatever it is to have it. So sure enough, being there a few weeks, I was like, power surge, power surge, power surge. Okay, I'm glad that we did that and didn't fry all my electronics as it came into the house. But this past Monday, we had a power surge, power went off, power went on, power went off, power came back on. And nothing seemed to be affected in the moment, but later that night, my air conditioner wasn't cooling. And I was like, I don't know what's going on, but I'm going to go to the power source. I'm going to check the breaker box. Let's see within the breaker box if one of the switches is thrown or if it's where it's supposed to be. Everything's on just like it's supposed to. Everything is just like it should be. So then I go outside, look at the air conditioner unit. I'm not sure what I was going to do with the air conditioner unit, but I looked outside at it and saw that there was a, the fan blade in the top of the unit wasn't spinning. It was making noise like it should be working, but it was not. So um, one of the great things about today is you can learn how to fix anything by just Googling it. So I Googled how to fix your air conditioner, and so I went through several steps, and I was like, hey, what's the worst that could happen? I'm just playing with electricity. Um, I, you know, I might you know, hurt myself really badly, actually, um, so don't do that if, um, if you're listening. Um, but as I went through these steps to diagnose what was going on with this air conditioner unit, I just wanted to double check because I'm playing with electricity. I want to double check and make sure the power is off. So I go back inside, back to the breaker box, after I pull the panel and some other things off the air conditioner unit, and I try to flip the switches. And the switch in the fuse box for the air conditioner will not come on and off. It won't move. It's just stuck there. And so I, I force it off, and then I force it back to on. And as soon as I do, instantly the air comes back on. It's cool air. It's running. It's functioning just like it should be. I think this breaker is how a lot of us relate to the Spirit. A lot of us understand that we have this power of the Spirit, but we're not utilizing the power. You see, I, I could have replaced every piece of the air conditioning unit. I could replace the ductwork inside. I could replace everything inside, the furnace and everything else. I could replace the whole system outside. And I could have done everything, but it still would not have worked like it was supposed to because it didn't have power. As believers, we have power, but many of us look like our power is on, but it's, we're not walking in the power that we have. It looks like it, but the power is just not on. Not because God's not doing his side, but because we are not choosing to walk in the power that's offered to us in the Spirit. Would that not be true? Would we remember the power that we have. I, I told you earlier, we celebrated all these different churches and all these different movements, all these different baptisms, all these things that God has done. It's incredible to see the Holy Spirit work in the ways that he has. But would you personally, in your own personal life, would you ask God the question, God, I'll do whatever you want. I'll follow you wherever. If that's working a job and living for you and honoring you, if that's moving somewhere else and being a part of what you're doing in a crazy movement of God, I will do it. 
If that's me being a mom or a dad and working a job that I do and, and uh, nobody ever sees me, I'm going to do it because the Spirit is leading me in that job. And even in that job, I can be obedient and I can walk in the power that God gives through the Holy Spirit. It's a dangerous prayer to pray, but would you consider the Spirit moving in your life? So the first, not only do we get a new power, but second reminder is that the gospel enables us to change by giving us a new motivation. The gospel enables us to change by giving us a new motivation. You see, oftentimes, as I've already mentioned, our motivation for things is I, I want to be better or I want to be received. I want, I want God to accept me, so I'm going to try to do these things. But can I just say to you, see like Southwest Iowa this morning, if you're in Christ Jesus, you have nothing to earn. God has received you. He has welcomed you in. And you can't earn something with him that he's already given. He's already given you acceptance and love, so much so that his righteousness has been given to you and credited to your account, as we talked about this last week. So let me explain this this way. Uh, Pastor uh, and author Tim Keller talks about two different types of motivations. He talks about the old motivation, that motivation that you would have before coming to Christ, and then your new motivation or a gospel motivation. And the old motivation, it's if I obey, I'll be loved and accepted. If I obey, I'll be loved and accepted. You can hear how that doesn't line up with the word of God. Then you have a gospel motivation. The gospel motivation says, I obey because I am loved and accepted. I'm not, I'm not obeying in order to receive. I'm, I'm obeying in response to the love and affection that God has already provided for me. And we, we heard this passage read earlier, that of... Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I want to focus on chapter 1, I mean chapter 12, verse 1 for just a moment. Romans 12, 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. There's a lot of great truths here. Would you just listen and follow me for just a couple of them? The first one of these is Paul is telling these Christians in Rome to honor God with their bodies. But what I want you to see is what's motivating them to honor God with their bodies. First, he reminds them that they're already a part of the family of God. What does he call them? He calls them brothers. And some translations even say sisters. Brothers and sisters, that's familial language. They are part of the family of God. Based on them being in the family of God, he then goes on to tell them to be living sacrifices. But he even gives the motivation in that. He doesn't say just be a living sacrifice. He says, but in view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy, would you be a living sacrifice for God. He isn't saying in view of God's wrath, his anger, or even his judgment, but in God's mercy to be their motivator. God's mercy is so incredible. It's only through God's mercy that we've been made right with God. There is no other way. We could not merit enough if we tried to earn our way. So God didn't leave us in our trespasses and our sins, but instead he came while we were in our trespasses and sin. And through his mercy provides a way for us to escape the punishment because Jesus took that punishment that I deserve and you deserve 
And by him doing that, we get his obedience. We get his righteousness. And we are treated and are a part of the family of God because of his mercy. We should have experienced God's wrath, anger, and judgment. But he has given us mercy instead. We should have had these things. But God was merciful. So our motivation to change isn't to earn acceptance, but out of a gratitude and a thankfulness to who God is and the fact that he died, rose, and gave us his full obedience. Some of you, I, I don't know why I feel like it says this in this part of our message, but when God looked at Jesus, he said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. As believers, oftentimes we really struggle to believe God's well-pleased with us. But I want you to know that if you're in Jesus, God looks at you through the lens of Jesus and he is well-pleased in you. Would that be your motivator to be obedient and to walk in the ways that God would have you to walk? Matt Chandler is a pastor down in Texas, and he was at a, um, a, a conference. It was on purity, and he invited some friends to come to this purity conference. And the speaker that day was using an illustration of a rose to basically say, hey, don't um, do sexual activity before marriage. If you do, you're giving yourself away, and no one's going to want you. And so he, he takes this rose, and he passes this rose around the audience, and the rose is just beat and battered and all this stuff. And then at a certain point in the message, this other person who Matt Chandler is observing um, calls back for the rose to come back to the stage. And he holds up this rose, and he says, Who would want this rose? And it sounded good. It seemed like a good illustration to show that you're giving yourself away. But it missed the heart of the gospel. And the heart of the gospel is that Jesus wanted that rose. And Jesus died for that rose. And regardless of whether you and here have gone through great seasons of sin and struggle, God died for you. He didn't die for the righteous, but for the unrighteous. Not a bad illustration in itself. But if it's not lived out to understand fully, it can be a really bad illustration to say, hey, we've got to perform. We can't perform apart from the power and the motivation of God giving us those things already. Application. How can you apply this idea of a new motivation? How, what can you do? I just want to be practical in this. Um, I love, love, love within the City of Life family that there is just a genuine sense of just realness. Hey, I'm struggling, and here's where I'm struggling. Let me just be honest. Even this morning, the, uh, our brother has shared twice in, in both, both gathering times that he struggled and had struggles this weekend and was just real and honest. There are a lot of places, church family, that's not like that. There's a lot of places when you say, how are you doing? I'm good. And when we do that, what we're actually doing is minimizing the cross. It sounds like we're being held together we're actually minimizing the cross because we're minimizing our need for Jesus. So for you, how can you do something with this? Well, my, my first question is, are you committed to gathering on Sunday mornings and scattering throughout the city in, during the week in city groups? Because those are the primary places in which you can have this kind of transparency, this kind of honesty, this kind of rawness. But not only can you be real and just say, hey, here's where I'm struggling. People will come alongside you and say, hey, yes, you are struggling this way, but let me help you have a right motivation 
to be able to be obedient and to see the change that you so long to have and that God is leading you to in the area of spiritual formation or being changed to the likeness of Jesus. So not only do we have the reminder of new, of new power and motivation, our last reminder is this. The gospel enables us to change by giving us new patterns. If you have a Bible or it'll be on the screen, I'm going to read a couple of verses from Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 say this, And we were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So here he's talking about the idea of walking. You walked in this pattern. You were operating in a way that was not in obedience to God, that was not as a family member of God, but it was as a person who was far from God. But then in verse 8, it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one would boast in verse 9, God took us from walking in our old way. He has saved us as a gift. And as a part of that gift, he is now going to give us a new pattern to walk. Look with me back in verse 10. Ephesians 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should what? Walk in them. So you were walking this way, you've received salvation, now walk in good works. How can we be prepared for the good works that God has provided? We can be prepared by setting patterns in our lives that will help us be able to be obedient in seasons of opportunity for those obedience. So what are some of these patterns? Let me just give you a couple. The first one is that of reading the Word of God. Now, let me caveat all this by saying... None of these patterns that I'm saying are for you to do it in your own power. And none of these are to do it in your own motivation. But because of having the right power of the Holy Spirit and because of having the motivation of God loving you, you're not doing these patterns so that you earn favor with God or you, you earn acceptance with God or that you somehow are more righteous than other people around you. But instead, you do this out of response to the power that's been offered to you in the Holy Spirit and the motivation that you have. Set these patterns as a way to be obedient to God in these new opportunities that he has prepared for you beforehand from verse 10. So first one is reading the word of God. Read the word of God until the word of God gets in you. Reading the word of God until the word of God gets in you. We can easily pick up the word of God, flip through there, check off a box. Hey, I read the Bible today. But God desires us to walk with him, not just sit with him for two seconds and go on about a day. And, you know, so often when we close our Bible, the contents of the Bible stay in the pages. They don't come to our mind. They don't come to our mouth. They don't come to our heart. They just stay in the pages. And we go back the next day and we open it up again. And it's the same pattern over and over again. But God desires that these words, that the word of God would come in us and would dwell in us. So, Reading the Bible. So some of you are like, I don't know where to start. It's a big book. It's overwhelming. Get a Bible reading plan. If you don't know how to do that, talk to a city group leader here. Talk to one of the staff members here. They will help you get a Bible reading plan. They will help you be able to have bite-sized chunks 
of the Word of God that you can begin to read and understand so that you can be faithful in that. So, some people are like, hey, I don't like to read the Bible because I just don't understand. Or I just, I really want to read the Bible, but, you know, I, I just wish that I enjoyed it more. And I, I would say to you that the, these things I'm talking about are also called spiritual disciplines because they are that of a discipline. You read the Bible, the more you read it, the more that you love it. The less that you read the Word of God, the less that you, that you have a desire to read because you don't understand the fruit of it. What about praying? Would you make a plan and a pattern and a place that you could say, hey, I'm going to pray in this time for these people, and I'm going to do it at this, at this place on a regular basis so that in your life you're spending intimacy with God? And in your prayer life, would it not be just you talking to God, but you listening to what he would have you to hear? Think about it. What relationship in your life that's a close relationship do you have where you do all the talking? Probably not very good relationships because you don't know what the other person is feeling, where they're coming from. So word of God, prayer. One that we often skip as adults and we often encourage kids to do is scripture memory. Would you hide God's word in your heart that you might not sin against him? And then the last thing I would say is that of journaling. Would you journal through your process as God is growing you up in spiritual formation? Would you journal some of that? And so in seasons of, of doubt and seasons of concern, seasons of stress, would you be able to look back on God's past faithfulness as a remembrance for his future faithfulness as well? Let me illustrate it like this. Anybody in here ever play the game Dominoes? Like the actual game, Dominoes. Okay, a few of you have played the actual game, Dominoes. The other night, I was uh, hanging out with my kids, and I was like, hey, let's play Dominoes. I've got three girls, six, five, and four. Yes, I know it's crazy. Um, six, five, and four, we were going to play Dominoes. And my, so my oldest is like, hey, that's awesome, Dad. We're going to, like, make a big pattern. We're going to knock them down. It's going to go all over the table and all this kind of stuff. I was like, no, we're going to play the game where you, like, put the pieces together. And just like, oh, okay, like, um, that's not as fun, Dad. Um, but I found this um, illustration from someone else. It's, it's just pretty remarkable that a domino, just a regular-sized domino, each domino, if you do set them up as a pattern to knock over, each domino can knock over a domino that's twice its size. So if you start and it starts down the process and you double the size of the domino every time or you add an inch to the domino every time, Depending on how much you doubled that and depending on how often you, how far you took that would depend on how tall this would go. But if you were just to add just a little bit to each time, if you had 10 dominoes in a row that were doubling in size, 10 dominoes in a row, you would have a domino tall enough to knock over an NBA player that was over six foot tall. If you had 18, you would be able to knock over in a consistent pattern, starting with a two inch domino, not consistently going on to knock over the leaning tower of pizza. Now, it's already leaning, but you can still knock it over. After 23, you would be able to knock over the Eiffel Tower. But this, this blew my mind. If you continue to do this process of doubling and doubling and doubling and doubling, if you had 57 dominoes and you started with a two-inch domino and you knocked it over and they just continue to fall and fall and fall, the domino at the end of the 57, the 57th domino, would be able to be as tall. Now, I'm not saying you can do this because of gravity, but it would be able to be as tall as here to the moon. What start with just a little bitty domino 
we'll be able to fall and fall and fall and fall and fall. So when you think about spiritual discipline, you think about patterns in your lives, some of you are like, hey, i got to have a quiet time for three hours if I'm going to read the Bible. Don't start there. Start with that little spot, the little way of obedience. How can you begin to be obedient to God in a little way? Because what will happen is God will continue to make those dominoes fall in your life, and you will look up before long, and you, you will say, hey, how did I not read the Bible before? How did I not pray? How did I live this life without being dependent upon God in prayer the way that I am now? How did I not memorize the word of God? How did I not recount the blessings of God? But start small and let God build as he will. But again, you can't do these patterns in your own power and you can't do them in your own motivation. It has to be done out as a response to the gospel and that Jesus died for our sins. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for us. And after I pray, Jason's going to come and just give us some, some final instructions of response. Father, we thank you so much. Would you bring back that recollection, that concept we started at the beginning of, hey, I had this area of my life that I want to change. I feel like I keep going back to the sin. I keep having the struggle. I keep having this unbelief. Whatever it might be, would you take these reminders that we, that we saw in this passage, that we have power, that we have a new motivation, that we have new patterns that we can walk in. Would that be confidence and encouragement to walk in response to what you've already done, the acceptance that you've given, and would they find the way to overcome this change and to experience the change that you desire them to have. And we just pray that you be glorified in all these things. In Christ's name, amen.